Hi there, it's Bean, and welcome to Great Moments in Weed History. I am so glad that you are joining us for this episode. We're going to talk about the biggest cannabis story of 2022, happens to have a very happy ending, and we are going to revisit our annual tradition of telling the story of how Santa Claus is a psychedelic mushroom shaman. If you've got no idea what I'm talking about, stay tuned in this episode because it is a beloved, beloved story here on this podcast when we share every year this time of year. And if you've taken this magical sleigh ride with us before, I know you're going to want to whip up some weed-infused egg nug. Wait, did you just say egg nug? Yes, it's a special type of egg nog. Roll yourself some Christmas trees, get eight oily dabs ready for Hanukkah or any other spiritual tradition you may follow. Santa Claus, the mushroom shaman version of him, at least belongs to all of us. God doesn't give a shit if you smoke dope. You're in church, so you can't lie. How many people here are stoned right now? That's what I thought. Like, that's Christmas. None of this presence and lights and stress and shit. Just getting drunk and stoned with your friends, family, people that you love. Now, selecting the biggest cannabis story of 2022. There's whole states that voted to legalize cannabis. There has been uh, some pardons from the president, although they haven't gone far enough. It was certainly an important first step. We saw the first piece of federal cannabis legislation pass and and is going to go on to be law. Again, a very limited law, just creating some avenues for research. But still, these incremental steps lead somewhere. They lead to the future that we all want, where no one is punished for consuming or growing or sharing or selling this plant. And that brings us to our story of the year, which began back in February when WNBA superstar Brittany Griner was first arrested and taken into custody by Russian officials. Abdullah and I immediately put out a special episode about this story because at the time, it really seemed like this was flying under the radar. Uh, Imagine if an NBA superstar was in the same position, the amount of wall-to-wall media coverage that would have happened, and here was arguably uh, the most accomplished player in the WNBA, arrested in Russia while traveling through the airport and allegedly having in her possession a small amount of cannabis oil in like little vape pen cartridges. For that crime, Brittany Griner was charged with being an international drug smuggler and was eventually sentenced to nine years in Russian prison, a a, a nightmarish situation. But just last week, she was released as part of a prisoner swap. Brittany is now at home with her family, reportedly back out on the basketball court, dunking and presumably, you know, on her own schedule, preparing to eventually rejoin the WNBA. I'll also say that I hope Brittany is smoking a nice fat joint right now, um, and we are all sending our best wishes from the entire cannabis community. At the same time, we can use this as a teachable moment or a uh, cheachable moment 
if you will. That's the weed pun for this episode. Here we are in the United States continuing to arrest people every single day for cannabis, including in many states for simple possession. So why not let them all free as well that we would go to such incredible lengths to free somebody from a foreign prison while keeping our own citizens in prison for the same thing makes no sense as we close out 2022 we have to of course celebrate all the victories we've made in ending this system of prohibition but we also have to remember that people continue to suffer severe consequences for embracing this life-saving beautiful plant that we all love and we have to commit ourselves to making 2023 the year that this ends forever. One of the first things WNBA star Brittany Griner did with her newfound freedom this weekend was to pick up a basketball and hit the court at Fort Sam Houston in Texas. Her father telling CBS News, I felt like I had 500 pounds lifted off my shoulders. So that was the biggest cannabis story of the year for the whole world. But I also wanted to briefly kind of uh, review the year in weed here on Great Moments in Weed History because I'm really proud of the historical stories and interviews that we put out this year. And of course, I am hoping that in kind of reviewing our year here on the podcast, it will encourage you all to join us. If you haven't already, as Patreon subscribers, you can go to greatmomentsinweedhistory.com for more information on that. I want to say a huge heartfelt Thank you to everyone who is supporting us right now on Patreon. It is really the key to this podcast being here every weed for you. We put out a new episode on the podcast feed once every two weeks or once every two weeds, uh, but we are still a weedly podcast. If you support us on Patreon, you will get a Patreon-exclusive episode every other week. So if that got a little confusing, I think just hit the uh, back 30 seconds button twice and it'll all make sense the second time through. Okay, so we're going to get to the story of psychedelic Santa Claus in just a few moments. But first, hang with us as we go through what Abdullah and I consider the highlights from the podcast this year. Abdullah sends his love and seasonal greetings to all. He is, say it with me, still on hiatus, uh, but we'll be hearing from him next year, no doubt. First highlight episode, a big one, a story we wanted to tell for a long time. We got to talk about Peter Tosh from the Whalers with his daughter and really had a chance to delve into Rastafari culture in Jamaica, the history of weed in Jamaica, reggae history. And of course, you know, we are talking about the guy who wrote the song, Legalize It. So many, many great moments in weed history in that story. It was an incredible way to kick off the year. 
Then we went right to an interview with NFL star Ricky Williams, who talked about, you know, being high while winning the Heisman Trophy, getting kicked out of professional football for smoking weed and failing a drug test, and now coming back and having his own cannabis company. An incredible story. We took you inside an openly operating psychedelic mushroom church in Oakland and, you know, use that to have a discussion of these new laws coming online in communities decriminalizing psychedelic plants. We just saw the entire state of Colorado vote to pass a law decriminalizing psychedelic mushrooms. You know, we we love our mushrooms uh, almost as much as we love our weed here. Speaking of weed, we had three separate episodes this year tracking down the history of classic Hall of Fame cannabis strains. Often these histories, because they happened during Prohibition and people were trying not to get arrested, are very hard to pin down. But We went right to the source. We told uh, the history of OG Kush, and then we talked with Chemdog himself about how he first encountered that legendary strain out on Grateful Deadlot, and we rounded it out with the story of Sour Diesel as told by AJ, the man himself who popularized and proliferated that strain. Boom! Then we're literally halfway around the world talking about the long ancient history of cannabis in Japan, how it was part of the Shinto religion, how it was part of the sumo wrestling tradition, speaking with an activist from Japan. She is working right now to bring legalization to that country, an incredibly fascinating conversation. And one I have to say, it's really gratifying for us. We can look and see where the show is being downloaded. I think we were downloaded in 80 different countries around the world, and we got a huge spike of listeners in Japan with that episode. Information about cannabis is really still suppressed over there in many ways. And, you know, just even more broadly, knowing that this show reaches people in 80 different countries is pretty mind-blowing, especially when you consider many of those places are still uh, very far behind the United States in terms of legalizing cannabis. Many of those places were forced to criminalize cannabis because of the United States back in the 1960s when we were pushing our war on drugs on everyone else. So to get emails and DMs from people in Japan uh, and, uh, and many other places around the world is, is really humbling and thrilling and, and a big part of our mission here at Great Moments in Weed History. We also put out a couple of live episodes this year. So Abdul and I in Los Angeles did the story of Jack Herrer rhymes with terror and how he green-pilled the world. And we also put out an episode about OG glassblower Bob Snodgrass that we recorded live in Portland at the Helium Comedy Club. Those were both really great experiences for us, uh, not the least of which because we uh, spent about an hour to two hours after each show just getting high with everybody, getting to know them, and uh, what could be more fun than that. Those were both truly great moments in great moments in weed history history. 
I'd say the episode that we got the most messages about this year was a was when we titled How Humble Growers Foiled the Cops. It was about how during the era of helicopter raids up in Humboldt County, California, the growers got together, they monitored the police, they started their own radio station called KMUD, still on the air, who would alert people over the radio when the cops were coming by helicopter or by caravan and give people time to sort of grab their to-go bag and get the fuck out of Dodge. And we were able to hear that story firsthand from Agnes Patak, one of the founders of what was called the Citizens Observational Group, these people who basically went out and spied on the fucking cops. We also had some great sort of celebrity interviews. We talked with Damian Marley, an incredible reggae musician in his own right, and of course the son of Bob Marley. We talked with comedian and band leader Reggie Watts, Rush guitarist Alex Lifeson, and uh, a gentleman named Randy Lanier, who was at, at the same point in his life driving race cars in the Indy 500 and smuggling huge loads of cannabis into the United States. Unfortunately, he ended up doing quite a bit of prison time, but he's out now. He wrote an incredible memoir of it, and he shared his story with us all here on Great Moments in Weed History. And that's just a part of what we did in 2022. We want to do all that and much more in 2023. But I gotta be honest with you folks, we need your help. As I mentioned, we are still a weedly show coming out once a weed on Weedness Day. But if you are not subscribed to our Patreon, you are only going to get half of those stories because every other weed is a Patreon exclusive. Also, if you can support us at Great Moments in Weed History, Dot com. You could put five on it, or you could kick in as little as a dollar a month. You will get the video version of this podcast. You'll see me holding up this J I'm about to light up in a couple minutes. You will uh, see our guests when we have interviews, and you will feel like you are seshing with us at home. And more than all of that, you will give us the support we need to keep going, the inspiration we need to keep going, and frankly, the money we need to keep going with this podcast. We set a goal of getting 420 patrons. That's really what we need to have the bare minimum of financial support for the labor uh, that does go into making this show. And we are unfortunately not there yet. You can be the one who helps us get there. I was just at the Emerald Cup, an incredible cannabis event, ran into somebody who said uh, he really uh, loves and enjoys and values this podcast. <laughs> and uh, uh, bless you, man, if you're listening. But he said, oh, I've been waiting to be the 420th supporter on Patreon. Well, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go ahead and presume we have a few hundred people who are uh, waiting to be the 420th patron. Uh, that's not going to work, unfortunately. <laughs> Only one person can do that. What we need is for you to support this podcast right now. We need a little bit of a Christmas miracle. Um, you know, uh, definitely committed to continuing the show, but in terms of how much we can do, how many of these stories we can tell, how 
much research and editing time we can put into them. I really uh, am asking this community, if you haven't supported us already, to at least check out greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. Check out the really cool bonuses that we have there. See what you're missing. Maybe you'll decide to join our Patreon family. And if you've got a little more support in your heart and in your wallet, you can get a signed copy of my book, How to Smoke Pot Properly, mailed right to you. If you don't have the ducats right now, as Abdullah is fond of saying, the other thing we desperately need and... uh trying not to show any desperation, but I will use that word uh, specifically, is for you to help us get the word out about this show by telling your friends, by telling the other weed smokers in your life. We are banned and shadow banned and throttled on every uh, type of social media. We are threatened with having our accounts taken away. Uh, we have a tremendously hard time getting the word out to people, and we don't have a budget to hire publicists and meme makers. We rely on you, our listeners, and we need to grow this show, even if you can just post on your own social media. Shout out to Familiar Hill Farms because they make us just some cool stories and tag us, and we can share them and it makes it easy for us to get the word out and it makes us feel good to see that. So please post a little bit about the show. Please tell your friends. Please support us if you can. Uh, and yeah, well, if you hear a little something in my voice, we need the help right now, but no worries. We're going to be there every weed for you if you're there for us on Patreon. Okay. That all said, let's get to this wonderful holiday yearly tradition of telling the story of how Santa Claus is a psychedelic mushroom shaman. Abdul and I truly love this story. We love sharing it with you each and every year. That is why I have uh, rolled up this Pretty massive joint for this one. And, of course, it being the story of psychedelic mushroom shaman Santa Claus. I uh, got a couple boomers as well. Really going to get a little lit and uh, a little groovy for this one. We invite you to do that right along with us. But perhaps your team of psychedelic reindeers is not all ready to go and harnessed to your sleigh, or you don't have a joint ready to blaze with us, it's cool. You can just hit pause and use that time to roll up some Christmas trees, to pluck some delicious, <laughs> well, not delicious, psychedelic mushrooms from the earth to endabulate a dab or do whatever it is you want to do to get ready to take this psychedelic sleigh ride into the sky with Abdullah and I and a little gentleman known as Saint Nicholas. And I promise you this, that as soon as you are ready, we'll all be ready for another great moment in weed history. That 
That is right. We are about to launch you into a rebroadcast of our holiday special. Santa's a psychedelic mushroom shaman. If you've heard it before, I'm sure you're going to enjoy the re-listen. And if you have not, you're in for a ride. Strap in your sleigh bells, my friend. Happy holidays to everyone out there from Great Moments in Weed History. Be safe, be happy, be surrounded by your loved ones. And get stoned. I'm really, really excited for the story we've got going today. Bean, what do you have for us? Yeah, well, it it is a Christmas story today, but it's a non-religious one. So a little something for everybody. I I should note if if you came here for religious scholarship, as most people do, and you are (laughs) expecting... A story, if you're looking for Rabbi David Bienenstock, who's a real person, or uh, is uh, is it Islamic Studies professor? Uh, yeah, that's right. Professor Abdullah Said at the University of Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is not their podcast. Uh, this is ours. But we do have an episode in season one, a very serious episode about how Jesus used cannabis to perform all those healing miracles. So that's yes. it is an uh, epic story. An epic story, the greatest weed history story ever told. Some might say. <laughs> Some might yes. say. Uh, but today we are going to talk about uh, an individual who I would say is the second most iconic figure in the Christmas pantheon, uh, particularly with the hint of uh, being a non-religious aspect of Christmas. I don't know if that's ringing any jingle bells for you. Yeah, I mean, unless capitalism is a religion, I guess. <laughs> Uh, I think I know who we're talking about. Is this a Kris Kringle-related weed story, Bean? (laughs) It is going to be uh, a story about Santa Claus, and it is also going to be a trip way back in time, and I think that some people may know the story and and will, I'm sure, fill in a lot of fun details for you and for uh, some people just kind of Hold on to your eggnog, because I'm about to blow your mind. Oh, uh, my God. Okay, I am super <laughs> excited. I've got my joint rolled and ready to go. I've got my coffee here. I've got my ears listening for this incredible weed Santa story. Uh, Bean, you feeling ready? Well, I, I, I'm not rolled up yet. I didn't, I didn't, I'm just splitting my blunt. I didn't pack my bong full. It's, it's okay. You can hit, you can hit pause. It's a po- it's a podcast. It's it's not live. Uh, but I'm personally ready. I know you're ready. And and when you come back from getting yourself all ready to roll or rolled, uh, I think it's going to be time for another great, great moment, moment in weed history. Bean, I am actively lighting up my joint. Take us to Christmas Town. Let's talk about a really old Christmas tradition. This story is going to go back way further than than I think you think. But mm. uh, we're so we're we're talking about Santa Claus today, and it's kind of an unsolved Santa mystery of like who is this dude? Where did he come from? 
Uh, it's obviously, you know, very closely aligned now with Christmas, a holiday about Jesus's birth. Mm-hmm. But Jesus never saw a snowflake, you know, not not at least while he was alive and on the earth. He was a desert dweller. He saw those paradise snowflakes that were all promised. <laughs> yes, most likely. Well, definitely, or whatever you believe. What For the remainder of this podcast, whatever you believe is fine with us. This yeah, is just totally. <laughs> us telling you a story. Yeah, and uh, for, the, for the flying spaghetti monster worshipers, you are the most welcome here. Yes, uh, d- yes, most definitely. <laughs> uh, and so, so that's j- Jesus, you know, not at the North Pole, no snow. Uh, well, what about old St. Nicholas? So I looked into that, and he actually resided. This is uh, most likely based on a real person uh, mm. from history who was a saint of the Catholic Church around the year, like, 300. But he lived in what's uh, now Demria, Turkey. Uh, and oh. I looked there. The average temperature in late December is about 50 degrees. Ha! Huh, so not a flake of snow there either. And this guy was like, you know, a toy maker in the Ottoman. How does he end up becoming the iconic red-clad gift-bringing figure that we all know and love? Or fear, perhaps. Annual gift man, as he's known <laughs> on The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, shout out John Waters. Yeah, one of my favorite episodes. Um, yeah. Well, then there's another potential uh, thread in this in this Santa Claus mystery, which is an interesting one. Have you heard of Sinterklaas? So I believe I'm familiar with this idea. And correct me if I'm wrong. This is perhaps like a Scandinavian or Nordic version of Santa Claus that is maybe like a little darker than the version that we know of. In in every sense of the term darker this is yeah. uh the this is the netherlands version of santa claus and mm. it is a pretty overtly racist telling of this story ah so i believe you're referring to zwarte pete is that right <laughs> he's in the mix yes oh god okay so for anybody who has not seen the horrifying images of this dutch christmas celebration basically there is a character who is played by a white guy in blackface who is part of the festivities of Christmas. Is that right? Yeah, he's like Santa's main helper. Now, I should say, I I've used to go to Amsterdam every year for the Cannabis Cup, which was uh, late November, early December. So I have seen this live literally stumbled upon it it is in my god <laughs> things might have things might have changed over the last few years in amsterdam and i'm not one like i don't know it's weird uh, it, it's yeah. definitely racist it's definitely weird uh but we're all at the cannabis cup we're blazed we're trying to get from one place to another for the next you know thing i have to work at and all of a sudden you're in this parade where there's like multiple people in blackface uh dutch people in blackface running around throwing candy frightening children it it, it was quite disorienting i later of course you know learned the story and what it is is for them for the dutch the santa-like figure sinterklaas lives in south spain but he shows up on a boat with uh schwartzy pete and essentially a group of people who are moorish slaves of santa claus like santa is a slave owner right uh, okay uh, maybe in the lore there's like they're friends or something but no uh and the <laughs> idea is not that they have come to deliver 
uh, gradiated gifts based on how good are you, you know, from like a nice pair of wooden shoes down to coal. Right. Uh, but Sinterklaas and his crew will kidnap children uh, who are insufficiently behaviorally adept in the eyes of their parents and bring them back to Spain to, in essence, enslave them. Wow. Okay, so first off, I'm so sorry that you witnessed that without any background <laughs> information. I think that's, I think that that is really a cruel thing to do to a gentle stoner, as I know you to be. But I, I also got to say, it, it's interesting that this is the origin story of the Santa that, that we know of. But of course, all these things have sort of been sanded down. Obviously, nobody asks like, oh, what race are Santa's elves? And like, do they get paid? Like, is there a union? Like, you know, none of that stuff even enters the conversation. But as soon as you see Zwarta Pete and you're like, okay, so this guy gets his slaves to make him toys for children, you sort of start to get the picture. You know what I mean? Of this weird colonial background that you would never expect just knowing normal American Santa iconography. Yeah, most definitely. And also, I, I just got to point out, so Sinterklaas lives in the south of Spain. No snow. Oh, my God. You're right. Seriously, that's like like just above North Africa. It definitely does not get that cold there. Yeah. So all of this begs the question, why does Santa Claus live at the North Pole and ride a sleigh? And it is because... Oh, and the reindeer, too. We're getting to the reindeer. Yes. Oh, shit. Okay, okay. <laughs> The reindeer play a very, very cool and perhaps wildly unexpected role in all of this. So Ooh, I good. think I think I may know a little something about what you're talking about here. And I am even more excited than I was <laughs> at the top of the show. Uh, but please do go on. OK, so what, what we're looking at is that Santa Claus, as we know him, incorporates elements of all of these older stories we've been talking about. But the jolly old elf that we know and love largely derives from the imagination of Clement Clark Moore, who was a professor of divinity at the General Theological Seminary of the Protestant Episcopalian Church in New York City. Friends of the podcast, obviously. Okay, and and, and what time period uh, are we talking about here? So he writes a poem, a very important poem, that sets the modern santa do you want to guess what year hmm uh perhaps like mid 1800s yeah well 1823 so okay so in 1823 uh clement clark moore i feel like you gotta just give him all three he's a wealthy aristocrat and he anonymously pens a poem called a visit from saint nicholas uh does that sound familiar is it a night before Christmas? Twas. Ah, okay. So this was the original name of the night before Christmas. You know, as soon as you mentioned like a Santa origin story poem, this is the thing that came to mind. Twas the night before Christmas. And, you know, of course, we've all seen countless renditions of this poem over the years. Yeah, and what's kind of wild is the mind-bending part of it is, in the poem, he's like, Santa, everybody knows Santa, and it's exactly like this, but it's also the thing that made everybody know Santa. Because basically, in the United States, and, and going back to 1823, think about, you know, we had lots, and we still do, of course, lots of different uh, immigrant groups who came to the United States with their own conceptions of what Christmas is, mm. on a 
on a religious level and also on a like, what are the traditions associated with it? And you didn't have the mass media. You, d- you didn't have radio even to sort of give everybody a homogenized version of this. And so this poem actually ends up being the thing that blends all of these stories and and thankfully sands some of the rough edges of them <laughs> off in the t- in terms of Sinterklaas and and produces kind of the Santa that we all know and experience at the shopping mall and on you know all these TV specials that's that's where it comes from this poem Wow. So this poem is the Action Comics number one of Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> most definitely. And I'd say by, my favorite reading of this poem is by the eminent Clark W. Griswold. Uh, reads this to the family at the end of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. The moon on the breast of the new fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh. And... And Eddie, with a man in his pajamas and a dog chain tied to his wrists and ankles. What the? (laughs) (laughs) So Clement Clark Moore, he publishes this poem in 1823. And at first, it's just in one small town newspaper in upstate New York. But the next Christmas, a bunch more papers republish it. And then it becomes sort of like an analog meme. It's it's now in papers all over the country. People look forward to it every year. And forever after, this wide range of divergent religious, historic, and folklorist traditions, um, mm. you know, from Sinterklaas and St. Nicholas to the pagan god Odin, and there's a British legend of Father Christmas— In a very American way, all of this kind of irrevocably gets melded into the traditional Santa Claus, uh, who is, as you mentioned, the god of capitalism. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. And it all started from a poem that honestly would more aptly have been titled, There's a Man in Your House. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what's happening here. It was uh, sponsored content for a home security uh, system of the era. <laughs> it was a bear trap you could put uh, next to your next to your front door and chimney. Uh. <laughs> they were like, see, and this gets back to the idea of like, you know, it's somewhere between bringing you joy and rewarding you for being good and scaring you for being bad. This whole thing is kind of about judgment. It's like at the end of the year, you are judged by this strange man who comes into your house, right? And then at the beginning of next year, you resolve to fix the things that he's pointed out are wrong with you. Yeah, so that fits in with our sort of Puritan American uh, conception. But there's still a lot of things unexplained. Why is he at the North Pole? What's with the reindeer, as you said, and a few other questions. So my question to you is, Hmm. what if there's another Santa Claus antecedent one that actually explains some of these more unusual aspects of the story. Yes. Yeah, so I think and I hope that you're talking about the mushroom cults and the relationship between Santa Claus, like the red and white colors that he wears and the Amanita mushrooms that may induce hallucinations of the sort that Santa is attributed with. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, so, hang on, 
Hang on to your sleigh bells, everybody. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. So this is the real story of Santa. And, and I feel like, you know, we've talked about the European origins. We've talked about, you know, how they've melded together in the most popular or marketable Santa that we have today. But this, this is something I only know a little bit about. So I'm very excited to learn about. But it also is so profound to me that... Everything you think is just there because it's there has a crazy backstory. And this is one of those things. Strap in. Strap in. Uh, pour. If, if you need a, a glass of fortified eggnog, if you got to uh, roll up some Christmas trees, it, it, it's, a, it's about to get really fun and, and quite weird and, and I think pretty uh, enlightening. And, you know, for those of us who might not have a religious connection to the holiday or any holiday, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a great way to tap in and feel like, okay, there's a, a part of Christmas that's here for me too. Tight. And so I, I think that I hope the people who listening accept us as, as authorities on anything we might, uh, spew about, but I, for everybody who might be a little skeptical, I'm going to bring in, uh, not literally, Donald H. Feaster. He is a professor of systematic botany at Harvard University. Heard of it, Harvard? Not that shabby. <laughs> and he so strongly believes in this theory that Santa's reindeer fly, as you said, because they're high on Amanita muscaria. AKA mm. also known as fly ajaric, which is a psychedelic mushroom. It's kind of the most iconic one. Uh, it's got the big red top with the white dots. You, you can picture it just from seeing images of it and folklore and it kind of. Yeah. It's like toadstool in Mario. Yeah. I mean, you, that's once you, once you understand mushrooms, you see them popping up in all these interesting places. So what this professor does is every year, he gives a lecture to his students on Christmas Eve recounting this story. You know, just so you know, there's, there's, this has uh, got a lot of academic credentials behind it. And according to this professor and many others, not only are Dancer, Prancer, Donner, and Blixen, especially Blixen, high as fuck on shrooms, so too is the portly old timer manning the reins. Hell yeah, I knew it. And I always knew there was something about Blitzen. You know, his <laughs> name is just different from the other ones. Somehow he like sort of stands out, you know, and like Rudolph is the one that they're like putting up front and being like, oh, he's the really sort of special or unusual one. I always had a feeling about Blitzen. So yeah, the, the the way I always knew that Blixen was was pretty pretty heavily into the psilocybin is you know one year I got my regular present from Santa and then there was one that was from Blixen and it was Almond Brothers Live at the Fillmore East album. So. <laughs> knew he was cool. I knew he was cool. <laughs> he was and, cool. You know when you're when you gotta go on a sleigh all night, you know you ever make that like driving mix for yourself and you throw oh, in yeah. some some long jams. Yeah, absolutely. Mine is filled with like square pusher, but I also appreciate anyone who's got Almond Brothers on theirs. So according to Professor Feaster at Harvard University, here's what he says. You know, the idea is that the reindeer go berserk because they're eating Amanita muscaria. The reindeers are flying. Are they really flying or are your senses telling you they're flying because you're hallucinating also? Oh, yeah. See, this is so interesting. And, and, and I've got to say that I have had psychedelic experiences that very weirdly have imagery or like color schemes 
or patterns that I kind of associate with Christmas. To some people, this might sound completely crazy, but if you've tried DMT or psychedelic mushrooms, you may have seen things, you know, like elves and, and you're like, hmm, like, why is there a parallel here? And that is not a coincidence. And, and that really is, I think, what's at the heart of, of this story here, of this revelation, is that that's all connected and that there is a very psychedelic nature to all the things we're talking about, the flying reindeer, the, you know, the elves, all of it. Yeah, so we've got these reindeer finding Amanita Mascara mushrooms, they're eating them, the reindeer are tripping, but that's not all. Because then we have Santa, mm. you know, the you ruddy know, cheek. Santa, yeah. <laughs> hey, Santa. I know this fucking guy. I known him all my life. <laughs> I saw him kiss my mom one time. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that's messed up. Fucking sad. If my dad was away, yeah. <laughs> you'd be right back up that chimney, you <laughs> cookie stealing bastard. I know, uh, right? <laughs> You milk-sipping fucking... <laughs> Elf-enslaving. <laughs> yeah, you racist bastard. Capitalist pig. So he was the Jeff Bezos of his day. Oh my uh, God, so much the Jeff Bezos of his day. Holy shit, that's <laughs> such a parallel. Because, like, you know, you hear all the stories about, like, Amazon workers going on strike and shit. Like, those are elves making the toys that you want. They, like, literally bring them to your door you know what I'm saying? It's like you have no idea. It's like for you, the pleasure of this materialism is just there's like a, a, a thin veneer hiding all the darkness that that facilitates it for you. And as we as we get back, as we move now into a much, much, much older Santa tradition, we're mm. going to see that that capitalism, spoiler alert, was uh, kind of implanted into the story by capitalism. It, it's don't say yeah, wow. Who would have suspected? So now we've got these mushroom-infused uh, flying reindeer. Like, you know, that's a real thing that they do. And now we have Santa Claus, our ruddy-cheeked, merry, magical fellow, who, as you as you alluded to, he dresses in a bright red suit with white trim, topped Ooh. off by a bright red cap with a white ball on top. Uh Makes him look sort of suspiciously like something. Yeah, he looks like a kind of like mushroom little DMT elf man. Yes, he is dressed in an ensemble remarkably similar to the traditional fur trim jackets that Siberian shamans would wear when collecting Amanita muscaria for ceremonial use. Ha! Oh my God, that is so crazy. See, okay, so so now we're getting into a different religion altogether that has influenced this sort of religious iconography, right? And that's these mushroom cults uh, of of Siberia, Central Asia, Europe, and this is something I'm I'm really fascinated about because you know before you know the the rampant popularity of monotheism and you know the the major world religions that we have today there were a lot of smaller groups of people with more localized spirituality that was you know rooted in the the psychedelic and other psychoactive plants that were available in that environment and a lot of them were coming to the same conclusion so you know as we do when we eat mushrooms yeah, absolutely. And we should so mention this a shaman is uh 
spiritual guide type figure in a lot of these older cultures who would ingest psychedelic substances themselves, lead ceremonies of other people. So not usually quite a dogmatic figure that's going to tell you what the religion is, but somebody who is adept with psychedelic plants of varying kinds, depending where you live by and large, and is given this ceremonial role within society and and a, a reverential role, somebody who is looked up to and initiates people into the wonders of psychedelic states. Yes. And you know what? The thing I love about shamans is that if you've got a guy who's your medicine man, who's giving you medicine that he wants you to take, you want to see him take it himself. You know, I, you know, I know nowadays, of course, we respect doctors and all that. But, you know, when one of them is prescribing you Oxycontin, I feel like it's like you're going to take a couple of these with me. <laughs> so I think it's very interesting that we're talking about uh, traditions where a provider of medicinal support and spiritual support, it's, it's sort of all balled into, you know, the same person. Yeah, those lines are very, very blurred, and I think as they should be. I think the unblurring of those lines has been to our detriment to yes. separate the spiritual, the medicinal, the nutritional. I, I don't know the nutritional value of psychedelic mushrooms. I wouldn't rely on them as a part of a healthy breakfast, uh, but mm -hmm. they're good for your brain. Yes. And so going to a different academic, so as uh, John Rush, an anthropologist at Sierra College, explained it this way. He said, up until a few hundred years ago, these practicing shamans would dress up like Amanita muscaria mushrooms and go out to collect them. Then, and let me know if this sounds familiar, they would dry them and give them as gifts to people on the winter solstice, which is December 21st, usually. Oh, okay. So now we've got the convention of gift giving that has entered the, the fold. And frankly, a far better gift than any of the gifts most of us will receive <laughs> on any holiday season. Seriously, would you rather have like a sock subscription or would you rather have a fat sack of mushrooms? I mean, come on. One of them is just, you know, more crap that you're going to accumulate in your closet and the other is going to inch you towards enlightenment i mean which one is the better gift truly i i will say if if if, if amazon was doing the people who bought this also bought that uh <laughs> some good warm socks if you're going to be out tripping in in mid-december you don't want your feet to get cold that's so you know? true yeah, and, and actually, I mean, it does make me think that some of the more harrowing trips I've had, and not in the sense of being a bad trip, but just uh, being in elements that are harder to enjoy when you're tripping, have been in the wintertime. You know, it's not like tripping season stops when it gets cold or anything like mm. that. So, you know, it's like I definitely have memories of experiencing trips outside and they were always like a little bit more intense, but I also am a person who grew up in Thailand, so I'm not exactly as acclimated as, you know, uh, some of the shaman disciples we're talking about in Siberia. Yeah, well, we're, that gets to our next point and, and our next deep connection to modern Christmas is yeah. it's December 21st 
cold as fuck in Siberia, no doubt. Also, obviously, very close to Christmas. And this is part of a larger process of Christianity kind of taking over older pagan holidays. The winter solstice is the shortest day of the year. It's also the day the sun begins returning closer to the earth. That's a huge date on the pagan calendar. I'm no expert, but I know it's one of, if not the most important date. So to sort of superimpose, if you're trying to move people away from that tradition Mm -hmm. and into your new tradition, and you're just like, oh, Christmas, our biggest day is also the same. Yeah. And you know, this sort of like religious repurposing, the repurposing of rituals, the kind of adapting one religion to another is, it occurs throughout the history of many, many religions. You know, if you look at when the Roman Empire adopted Christianity, there was a parallel holiday to Christmas called Carnival, where they would sort of give meat to all the citizens. There was a parallel for Easter. There's a parallel for other days. So you could more easily transition your people into a new religion. Yeah, it got a lot less trippy over the years. But but we're bringing it back. Yeah, we're trying. Man. This <laughs> Christmas is special. Everybody's stuck at home. So, you know, uh, let's all try to incorporate more psychedelics into the tradition. Yeah, absolutely. And this gets to the get, being stuck at home uh, gets into our next move of these shamans. Our hardworking and kind-hearted shamans have gone out. They followed the reindeer herd. Uh, the reindeers find the mushrooms. The shamans are following the reindeer. They mm. gather up some mushrooms for everyone. Now they got to make home delivery. But when they get to your door, it's mid-December in Siberia. Your door is blocked with snow. Oh, my God. Okay, I think I see where you're going with this. (laughs) This is what you know, this really is the actual beginning of the famous poem. There's a man in your house. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the, the structures that people were living in, the easiest way is if you know what a yurt is, mm. uh, a, a kind of a, almost like a tent that would have an opening at the top so you could have a fire inside and the smoke would go out the top, not too different from a chimney. Yeah, uh, And so the shamans, and you're like snowbound in your house, trying to live out this awful winter, pretty bored, been stuck with the same small number of people for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the darkest, shortest day of the year. Everybody's feeling kind of down. And then all of a sudden, what should a clatter or whatever? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Here comes this guy dressed like a mushroom jumping down through the roof of your yurt with a big sack full of mushrooms. Oh, my God. And, you know, if your house is encased in a mound of snow, you know, it's reasonable to think that you might hear the footsteps of the reindeer coming up against your walls or ceiling. I mean, look, we're talking about a yurt, which is essentially a dome. You know, there's no real flat roof on this thing or anything like you would think of like a traditional thatched roof that is a clatter with the footsteps of reindeer but in this situation you can kind of picture that okay there's this house buried in snow the shaman shows up he can't get to the door he's got his reindeer with him the way you know he's there is you hear the a a clattering of the of the reindeer footsteps and then you're like oh here's this guy and he comes down and you know he's gone to all this trouble so you give him milk and cookies, right? <laughs> Whatever the equipment, probably like yak milk and and bulgur cookies or something. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
No, I've actually slept in a yurt in Siberia as part of a, a doc I was shooting a while ago. I did get to drink fermented yak's milk or perhaps horse milk because there's a lot of horses around there too. Needless to say, nobody came through the chimney with mushrooms, unfortunately. But I have an idea of the snacks. <laughs> nice. I, You know, I'm putting that on my wish list. Uh, warm <laughs> socks, mushrooms, and some fermented yak milk. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another interesting question. Hmm. Any idea where Amanita muscaria mushrooms are found? If you're if you're a mushroom hmm. forager, where would you be looking for them? Hmm. I'm not exactly sure. I, I'm I'm not a mushroom forager, but I would guess you know on a forest floor in a relatively wet and moist area. Yes, and very specifically, they are found underneath. Fir and evergreen trees. Oh my God. The greatest gift that you could possibly receive is one, in fact, that you would find under your Christmas tree and it's fucking mushroom. That is absolutely crazy. You know, if you take a nature walk, you know, whenever, you'll see that mushrooms do choose these sort of, you know, places to, to thrive. You know, very often it's like a place that's like a little bit shaded uh, you know, a place that's wet and moist. And of course, you know, underneath the tree. That is so fucking crazy, man. Bean, when you promised that minds would be blown <laughs> over the course of this episode, you were not lying because that is absolutely fucking crazy. I was at a Christmas tree lot yesterday. My girlfriend wanted to get a little Christmas tree for her place. And we were there like looking at these trees. You know, there's like a line of trees and I was like, wow, it's so strange. You know, when you take a step back and realize that like every season, there's this tradition where you go and get a tree from outside and put it inside your house, like in the corner and then you put presents under it and you like decorate it, like you do whatever. And I was like, what a strange tradition. And here we are, I'm realizing that it all has to do with mushrooms. Everything is drugs, people. If that, if there's one thesis statement of this show is that just everything goes back to some sort of awesome natural substance that has been put there for us, that is really a gift to us as humanity, and this is no different. Yeah, I'll, I'll summarize just to say, you ever looked at a tree covered in tinsel? You ever looked at a tree covered in tinsel on, on shrooms? <laughs> <laughs> and I do want to quickly say, don't ever eat a mushroom that you find outside of a store. <laughs> Unless you yeah. really know what you're doing. And oh, even yeah. Amanita muscaria, don't just grab one off the ground and eat it. It needs to be uh, handled and processed properly, which we, which we will get to in a minute. Even down to things like stringing popcorn and cranberries. Uh, mm. uh, that mimics the way that you would get these mushrooms and, and string them up in, in front of the fire to dry them out, uh, which oh. makes them more potent. And makes them a little easier to digest. Oh my God, that is so crazy. Literally every little detail has something to do with, with a mushroom thing. So this is pretty well proven, right? I mean, how theoretical is this backstory? I mean, we got a guy from Harvard. What more could we possibly do to confirm this? I, I mean, short of a time machine, it's... 
to me there's there's no counter argument you know there's there's too much there and it's 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 too sort of well documented i think to me one of the most compelling things is you can go back to the even the 1800s and you can find these old sort of woodcuts and christmas like the earliest christmas ornaments would often show Santa with these mushrooms on them. And we'll put some on our Great Moments in Weed History Instagram for sure for you to see. And these are, you know, yeah, there's newer ones that people have drawn, but you can find ones that are over 100 years old, even greeting cards that people would send. So I'm giving this zero Pinocchios. I'm saying that I'm Mm. I'm quite confident that this, uh, uh, you know, you might find somebody to dispute it, but they would be a very uh, curmudgeonly and uh, untrue-me person for sure. Yeah, seriously. Anyone who then defends the, you know, the capitalist backstory over this one is probably lame. (laughs) Yes, that's a strong correlation. Should we just keep piling the evidence on? Let's do it, man. I want more. Okay. So this is another another really interesting angle on this. This is Dana Larson, a longtime cannabis researcher, and he was writing about how even putting a star on the top of the Christmas tree references the shamanistic traditions of the tribal peoples of pre-Christian uh, Northern Europe. Uh, so this is this is Dana Larson writing. The star too. <laughs> Insane. I, you know, it crossed my mind a second ago when we talked about Christmas lights, but now I'm like, actually, the star, too. Insane. Take that, Jesus. <laughs> he did. <laughs> I, I think that the lesson, too, is and, and do go listen to our episode in season one about Jesus's use of cannabis. It's, yes. And, and partly the theme of the of our whole show is how much of this important, interesting, fun, you know, foundational history has been rewritten and erased to deny us all uh, our birthright of, of access to these plants and these mind consciousness states. And it's no coincidence that capitalism is what we were given in its place so yeah that's right jeff bezos does not want you to know about the mushroom (laughs) origins of christmas we have some good friends at a publication called double blind they're new they're covering psychedelics in a really cool way they have great guides on how to safely consume psychedelic mushrooms how to grow your own so i recommend that and you know, do a, if if this is all new to you, do a lot of learning before you you do anything else. Uh, yes, absolutely. And Double Blind is a really good resource. No matter what your level of experience is, you'll probably learn something and take something away from it that improves your overall experience of using psychedelics for whatever you want to use them for. Absolutely, and also maybe check out Maps, the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies, for a bit more of an academic take and all the latest incredible research into how uh, plant medicines, uh, which are now decriminalized in Oregon and Washington, D.C., and soon Mm -hmm. many other places have incredible medicinal and spiritual value for people. So uh, and we'll put in this we'll put in the show notes a lot of links to learn more about mushrooms and other psychedelics. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, MAPS has been keeping psychedelics legit for a long time. You know what I mean? I I think that they're an organization that has really 
taking a scientific approach, you know, taking a pretty conventional approach to demonstrating the benefits of psychedelics for all sorts of different things. So huge shout out MAPS. It's because of places like MAPS that, you know, psychedelics are now starting to become legalized. And of course, it's because of the uh, long shamanic traditions going back Mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of years that we have this tradition to relearn and to reconnect to, including... Uh, to understand why we put a star on the top of our Christmas tree. Oh, my God. Why? This is insane. <laughs> okay, so this is Dana Larson writing, and he says, These ancient peoples, including the Sami tribes of the central Russian steppes, mm. uh, they believed in the idea of a world tree that served as a kind of cosmic axis onto which the planes of the universe are fixed. Whoa. Very trippy. Yes, very well said also. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so the roots of this world tree, and you got to picture this in your mind, uh, they stretch down into the underworld, mm-hmm. while the trunk of the tree is the, quote, middle earth of everyday existence, where you and I live, uh, and everyone listening to this, almost all of our lives. But the branches of the tree reach upward into a spiritual realm. Wow. Uh, now, so that that places our tree in a in a big context. The North Star was also considered sacred since all the other stars in the sky revolve around its fixed point. Oh. You see where this is going. Yeah. The top of the world tree touched the North Star. And so the spirit of the shaman in these psychedelic states, would climb up this tree, the world tree, and thereby pass into the realm of the gods. Whoa. This, yes, and this is the true meaning of the star on the top of the modern Christmas tree, and also the reason that Santa Claus makes his home at the North Pole. Oh, my God. Literally, They thought of everything. (laughs) And that's really incredible. You know, if you can imagine the image, right, of a fir tree, right, of an evergreen tree in the wild, right, in in a Siberian forest, it's drizzled in snow. So there's like sort of snow frosting different parts of it, right? And underneath it, there's a family of Amanita mushrooms, red and white. And you're looking up at this tree against the night sky. And what you see through all the branches are a bunch of stars almost decorating this thing like Christmas lights or or ornaments. And at the very top, you see the North Star at the top tip of this tree, right? And you're tripping. So you're seeing all kinds of other crazy shit hanging from the tree, too. (laughs) I mean, that is the most Christmas image that that I, I can think of at all. You know what I'm saying? Like it's got green, it's got red, it's got all of the visual traits of Christmas. That is incredible. It's the most wonderful, wonderful time, time of the year. year, 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 year. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think one, one last thing to keep in mind, you know, 
often when these, uh, you know, when you're going from these older traditions, shamanistic pagan traditions to these Christian traditions, it, it's not always by choice and very often not. And so we see, you know, these things like putting the star on top of the tree, the red and white as attempts to hold on to these older cultures and embed them in these new traditions so as not to lose connection entirely. And for us, uh, a thousand years later or whatever, it allows us to follow these breadcrumbs back. And so it it, it has worked in its way. Um, if all of this was lost entirely, we would have no way to go back and and, and figure this out. And of course, the, the last piece of the puzzle, I think we got to talk a little bit more about these reindeer. Yeah. Oh, my God. OK, so what more can we say about these reindeer? Well, uh, <laughs> now it's going to get, uh, hang on even tighter to your sleigh bells. Oh, boy. Uh, Amanita muscaria, or flyagaric, uh, mushrooms are actually mildly poisonous if you eat them. So it won't kill you, but it will, could give you very, uh, unpleasant, uh, you know, feeling digestive, etc. Mm. Those poisons are broken down when you digest and eat the mushrooms. Mm. But the psychoactive compounds in the mushrooms remain fully active in your urine. So some ancient tribes, instead of eating the mushrooms or in addition to eating the mushrooms, they would drink the urine of reindeer who'd eaten the mushrooms so that they could get high but not have these tummy aches. Wow, that is crazy. Certainly from a modern perspective, pretty gross. You know what I mean? I think in <laughs> in our worldview, drinking any kind of urine is a pretty nasty thing. Uh, but there are cultures all over the world, uh, you know, ancient and modern, where drinking urine of various kinds is, is seen as something medicinal. And in this case, I mean, you sort of see that they have a almost scientific understanding of this natural process. You know, it makes me think of the way that um, the Iowa Scaros uh, in South and Central America for thousands of years have known that, you know, you mix the vine with this other natural occurring substance. And that's what will, you know, prevent your body from too quickly breaking down the DMT. And, you know, they sort of have, you know, their shamans, and they're mixing herbs, but really behind the, that mixing of herbs, there is a scientific understanding. I mean, and you have to really think about, you know, before modern science, these are people who understood, okay, like, there are separate compounds in this thing. I want one of them, but not the other. And this reindeer is almost like a filter for that. So you can just get the, the compound that you want. I think that's very interesting. And I also think that that's why a shaman who is going around bringing people, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, gifts during this solstice would want to keep some reindeer around so you could occasionally, you know, re-up a little, you know, take a hit, as it were, of reindeer. <laughs> yeah, you want to get high on your own supply of yeah. psilocybin-infused reindeer urine. I mean, or that's... Blixen's supply. <laughs> oh, yeah. I I I I I I water down Blitzens a little bit. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 you like you like know your reindeer, and you're like, oh man, is it a Rudolph kind of night, or is it like a Blitzen kind of night? You know, 
It's like the ABV tells you how much alcohol there is. Blitzen's like one of those <laughs> yeah. triple triple hopped. Uh, and so yeah, if he's you got that buy... look in his eye tonight. You know, I don't know if I want to drink his pee. <laughs> so if you've listened this long and you've been along with us this far, and it all sounds like it makes uh, a trippy kind of sense to you, but you're you're doubting the reindeer urine drinking thing. Uh, I'm going to kick it to this very upper crusty sounding guy from the BBC just for a second. In the past, Sami shamans took Fly Agaric in their visionary rituals. They even drank urine from reindeer believed to be under the influence. Wow, this has been the most earth-shattering Christmas special of any kind ever. I gotta say, there is no <laughs> amount of claymation puppetry that could, you know, completely change the way that you perceive Christmas, the way that we just did in, the, in this last hour. This shit is fucking crazy. And if you are listening to this on Christmas or any other day, I truly hope that it has shaken your foundational belief in Christmas as it has ours. Yeah. So just to recap, because like we covered a lot of ground, you know, not as mm. much as Santa in one night, but we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. So to recap, Santa Claus is an Arctic shaman who dresses up like a magic mushroom, follows reindeers through the woods until they happen upon some psychedelic mushrooms. And then waits for the winter solstice to break into your house in the middle of the night and gift you dried magic mushrooms, psychedelic reindeer urine, or both. And then, (laughs) (laughs) upon waking, you and your family scarf down these shrooms and spend the day tripping balls and gazing in wide wonder at the pine tree you dragged inside and festooned with ornaments. Wow, the true meaning of Christmas right there. (laughs) And you know what the real takeaway of this is? Boys and girls, it has nothing to do with how bad or good you have been all year. (laughs) You're all good. This is not about judgment. You know what I mean? This is not about being like, review yourself and feel shame. And, you know, like you get a lump of coal. Nobody gets a lump of coal. In the true meaning of Christmas, everybody gets mushrooms. And everybody deserves mushrooms. And when you eat them, you realize that the very concept of good and bad uh, is this earthly thing that doesn't even matter once you get into the higher branches of your Christmas tree. Wow. Very nicely done. (laughs) Thank you. I'm very high. (laughs) Well, I just wanted to say, you know... uh... And this has been a real one for me. I I love to tell you this story. I I miss you, buddy. For I miss uh, you too, man. I think let's let's can we can we smoke a little weed together on the on the outro on this one? I got I got yes. I got my I got my 2020 homegrown is now nicely cured and and I'll share some with you next time I'm able to uh, puff puff pass instead of oh, just man. puff puff. I would love that. And I miss smoking with you. You know, this is the first official episode we're doing remotely. You know, I I think that when we get to do it in the room, it's just us hanging out. And I love that so much. And, you know, this is not as good, but it's still so fantastic to recapture that spirit with you, you know, especially for a Christmas episode and to tell this story that, you know, is just so special. 
and I think gets to the heart of why we do the show because if we don't talk about this stuff, I'm afraid it'll be forgotten. So thank you so much for that story, Bean. Anytime. And everybody listening, as we said at the top, your support means the world to us, whether it's just sending yes. us a nice message, whether it's putting a review on iTunes, whether it is joining us on Patreon, or honestly, please tell your friends about the show. If you if you listen this long, yeah. you must have loved it. Uh, and make sure you get together even remotely with your friends and blaze a nice J this Christmas, uh, crunch, a, crunch a cap and a stem, uh, and uh, we'll be right there with you. Yeah. And, you know, please follow us on social media. That's at GMIWH podcast on all platforms. Support us on Patreon. Uh, and yeah, have yourself a really special holiday. Take it easy on yourself. It's been a really crazy hard year and we all deserve to chill. So be good to yourself. Be good to each other. We love you and we'll see you again soon. That's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. And that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanstock, a.k.a. Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.